0: Welcome to Inland Around War, a podcast of the Geneva Academy of International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights on contemporary issues related to wars.
1: How can one ensure that non-state groups follow the rules of international humanitarian law? And how does one feel after day by day working in humanitarian context? What does it really bring in terms of personal experience and feelings? These are just some of the questions that are touched upon in episode one of season two of Geneva Academy's podcast, In and Around Wars, in conversation with Ezekiel Hefes, an alumnus of the Geneva Academy and currently a director of the non-governmental organization Watchlist.
0: Hello uh, and welcome everyone to the second season of the podcast series of the Geneva Academy of International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights in and around wars. My name is Paula Gaeta and I'm professor of international law at the Graduate Institute in Geneva. I'm here today with the co-host of the podcast Anna Sovrin Coraldi. I don't know how to pronounce it Anna. <laughs>
1: I think you pronounce it great, Paula, and I'm also very excited to be here. So my name is Anna servin Coralli, and I'm a teaching assistant at the Geneva Academy and a PhD candidate at the Graduate Institute.
0: I know that you're laughing because sometimes we mispronounce our family names, you no? Know, and I, I have some stories to tell to our <laughs> listeners because we have discovered that she. Mispronounced the, the the family name of one of her professors, uh, namely Professor Clapham, that she used to call Clapham with a with an F instead of a PH, uh, <laughs> pronounced as a phone. So Clapham instead of Clapham, we had a lot <laughs> lot of laugh about that. Indeed.
1: <laughs> I- I admit. Yeah.
0: So, everybody means
1: pronounce or not? <laughs> I was practicing for this podcast, the word su- success, success. there's sometimes there are words in English that I'm unable to pronounce. So, I, I was practicing su- 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 <laughs> the succeed. The succeed.
0: <laughs> anyway, let me say that. Um, this new season would have a little different format with respect to the first season because we would like to focus more on the professional experience of the alumni of the Geneva Academy in what concerns their jobs after graduation. So we think that it is exciting no, to, to see uh, what they have become and what they are doing in their professional life.
1: Indeed, Paula, and to start this new season as it deserves, with an excellent speaker, we have the immense pleasure to welcome Ezekiel Hefes, who was a student at the LLM Program in International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights at the Geneva Academy in 2012-2013. We will be speaking about the Ezekiel experience at Geneva Call, first as a thematic legal advisor and then as a senior policy and legal advisor for over six years. And Ezekiel has been now recently appointed as a director of the non-government organization called Watchlist. And we will speak about this experience too.
0: Thank you very much, Ezekiel, for accepting our invitation and for being here with us today.
2: Thank you very much, Paula and, and Anna, for inviting me and for providing the space for the Geneva Academy community to share experiences here. Thank you.
0: Pleasure is ours, of course. Ezekiel, we would like to start with your work for Geneva Call. And this is an organization that is well-known in Geneva and, of course, internationally well-known organization because this organization engages with what it is we call non-state armed groups non-state armed groups uh, fighting in uh, armed conflict with the aim of achieving uh, or inducing them to respect uh, the rules of war uh, international humanitarian law and i would like to ask you could you explain what does it mean in practice in other words how does geneva call engage with non-state armed groups
2: so in my six years at Geneva Call, I have participated in different activities that serve this purpose of increasing the level of respect of what Geneva Call calls armed groups and de facto authorities of the law. So it could be, for instance, dissemination sessions on international law. So literally being in front of fighters and explaining them what the rules of international law uh, are, how they should be applied in practice. It could also be having bilateral meetings with commanders on the ground to understand why they might respect or not certain rules of international law. It could be, for instance, uh, putting together a meeting with armed groups and de facto authorities and other stakeholders, such as international organizations, in which everyone would discuss different international legal issues. So there are different, I would say, points of importance here. I mean, the first one is that in any given society, the circle of people who's actually aware of, of the law is very small. The circle of people who's aware of international law is even smaller. Who knows international humanitarian law is even smaller. So, And the differences between international humanitarian law, international criminal law, international human rights law, it's it's. Quite small, actually. So when we think about members of armed groups, most of the time they are not even aware of the obligations that they have the, at the international level. So the first, one of the first steps is, is, of course, to to try for them to know the obligations that they have under international law, and also to try to understand what their their own rules are. So many of these armed groups and the fact authorities they have their codes of conduct, they have their military orders. So for Geneva Call, it, it's quite important to understand how they regulate their own their own behaviors and to see whether there are some international law concepts there and if not, you know, if, if there could be or, or not.
0: Just to understand, so is it one of the core, let's say, activities that Geneva Call is there for to provide training to these members of non-state armed groups? Is it correct?
2: Yes, trainings or dissemination sessions is one of the activities that Geneva Call would undertake.
0: And what is the follow-up, I mean, of this? Is this changing the behavior then in on the field, in the field or not?
2: So training is part of, I would say, a package. So they're not uh, isolated activities. It's not just one single training to certain fighters. It could be a series of trainings. It could be uh, training what it's called trainers, you know, so you conduct a training of trainers that then they would replicate that internally uh, to the group. It could be, for instance, reading their code of conduct and providing feedback in terms of whether that is in compliance or not with international law. It could be uh, having bilateral discussions with the commander. So it's, it's, I would say, training is one of the elements that Geneva Co. relies on. And then the, the the branding tool that Geneva Co. has is what Geneva Co. calls the deed of commitment. So that it is also part of that package. It's one tool of engagement that Geneva Co. uses for armed groups to to commit publicly to respect to certain international obligations and then to allow that those situations are actually monitored.
0: For another question, before I leave the floor to Anna, for her to ask other questions as well. Since we deal with non-state armed groups, as we know, in some cases, these non-state armed groups are labeled as terrorist groups done by national legislation or by national governments or even by the Security Council. Okay. What does it imply in practice for, for, for your the organizations such as Geneva Call to, to in a way to provide training to groups that are labelled as terrorist groups?
2: This is indeed a very a very important question nowadays because yes, there is an increasing level of criminalization of certain humanitarian activities, although in the last few months there have been some Positive steps such as including a resolution at the UN Security Council. So for Geneva Call, it, it really depends how we we frame it. But it hasn't been a challenge so far. I mean, the dialogue with, with armed groups and de facto authorities in I would say the most majority of the context has taken place and has led to a positive and and results in terms of compliance with international law. So as a result, for instance, of armed groups and de facto authorities being engaged with Geneva Call, they have released children from the ranks. They have adopted measures to prevent uh, cases of sexual violence and to punish situations of sexual violence if that happens. They have also destroyed the stockpile of anti-personal mines. They have increasingly engaged with the international community, with other humanitarian actors. And I would say that the engagement that Geneva Call has had with those groups has you know, positively affected those developments. Uh, in terms of uh, counterterrorism legislation, of course, is, is something that um, it is wearing for the uh, humanitarian community, wider humanitarian community, because armed groups and de facto authorities, they are there. You know, They are on the ground. They are controlling checkpoints. They are controlling territories. They, uh, I mean, the recent numbers that the International Committee of the Red Cross has provided says that uh, more than 100 million people live either under the control or influence of armed groups. So for humanitarian actors in general, working in, in armed conflict, being in touch with armed groups is something that may occur quite often on a regular basis, even if you're not proactively looking for that content. Because you might go through a path or or a road in which they have a checkpoint, they're controlling them. And what you are trying to access the, the civilians living under their control, you you might need to to receive security guarantees by the group. So I'm just saying this because of course counterterrorism is, is a challenge, but One of the points that I wanted to make here is that armed groups exist. They cause a humanitarian concern. But the goal of Geneva Call, for instance, is to increase the protection of civilians on the ground. And this is done by teaching or by by discussing with armed groups and de facto authorities their obligations under international law. But the goal is to protect civilians. And I would say the means to that is for the armed groups fighters to understand that they have obligations under international humanitarian law.
1: Ezekiel, that's all fascinating. Now, what I wonder, like really the question that immediately popped into my mind when you started to explain what the Geneva call actually does was how do you actually get to choose the armed groups that you engage with? So for instance, you've mentioned the deeds of commitment, right? Can you basically sign this document with any actor or what is really the basis of, of the
2: decision? So as, as I said before, the deed of commitment, it's a part of a package that Geneva Call has. It's, there are groups that have been engaged by Geneva Call that have never signed a deed of commitment. I have to clarify this because it's one of the elements that Geneva Call can rely on, but it's not the only one. The other important point that I would like to clarify is that there are no groups that Geneva Call believes that are out of reach. So again, if there are groups that cause a humanitarian concern and they have a certain level of organization in in the view of Geneva Call, those groups should be engaged to increase the protection of civilians on the ground because they're causing a humanitarian concern. So there are no uh, limits in terms of the groups that that Geneva Call would try to engage. Having said that, Geneva Call focuses on different thematic areas. So yes, we would say it covers international humanitarian law at, at large, but you know, for instance, in terms of the deeds of commitment, Geneva Call has a deed of commitment on landmines, one on child protection, one on sexual violence and gender discrimination, one on healthcare, and one on the prohibition of starvation. I'm saying this because when engaging with armed groups and de facto authorities, we try to identify which areas that Geneva Call covers are particularly affected. So there are groups that, for instance, they do not use landmines. So, bringing to the table the deed of commitment on landmines or discussing issues of landmines, if the groups do not use landmines, maybe is not as relevant as discussing issues of, of protection of healthcare or prohibition of starvation or the prohibition of using and recruiting children in hostilities. So, that's part of the internal exercise that Geneva Call does in terms of identifying how structure, how organized the groups are and the thematic areas that they are, they are or they might potentially be affected. And one last point in terms of the organization, because what Call tries to do is to change the behavior of the groups. And if the groups do not have a certain level of organization that would allow them to internalize the messages that we are trying to convey, then it would be quite difficult to achieve that change in behavior. So we engage on groups that have a certain, certain level of organization for that behavior change to take place.
1: So I guess then what you also do, as Paula previously mentioned, you do regularly these kind of follow-up activities to somehow see how is your success rate, so in terms of how much respect for international humanitarian law norms has increased, right?
2: So if the groups have signed deeds of commitment, they have agreed that the obligations contained in the deeds can be monitored and, and will be monitored. So what happens is then Geneva call would go or you know is present in some of these countries and would assess whether the obligations are respected or not. So, for instance, I have been part of some monitoring visits in which we would stop at checkpoints to see whether there are children being used. We would go to certain academies, you know, as like so-called academies, and check if there are children who are there. And then if we actually find children, this is part of the bilateral discussion that we would have with the commanders afterwards on why this actually is happening. So there is an exercise also to try to understand the root causes of violations. You know, it's, it's quite different if we speak about landmines, you know, why armed groups use landmines and that may affect the civilian population, why they use and recruit children, why they might commit cases of sexual violence. Are these isolated cases or they represent the policy of the group? So this is part of the discussion that we have with the group. So try to understand them and to try to tailor the, the response that Geneva Call may provide to increase the protection of those individuals and to prevent violations. The last point that I want to clarify, I should have clarified this at the very beginning, is that I, I'm no longer working for Geneva Call. So my, my last day was actually last week. So this is why sometimes I say we oui when I speak about Geneva Call, because i, I still trying to, to change my brain um, to speak about Geneva Call in, yeah, in a different way. In addition to that, what I'm saying today should not be seen as a view of Geneva Call, because I'm no longer working at Geneva Call. Ch- I'm just sharing my, my experience while spending my last six years there.
1: I think that's great. And and Ezekiel, to further confuse you with the different places where you worked in, I want to just very quickly ask you also about your feelings, if you like, of comparing the experience that you had at Geneva Call as a small organization where you, as you said, very concretely had very close contact somehow with, with the armed groups and you could see then also the results of your work. But then before you worked for Geneva Corps, you actually worked as a field and protection officer, if I'm not mistaken, for the International Committee of the Red Cross and also in the field in Colombia, for instance, or in Afghanistan. So. I know this is a big question. It's hard to answer it in a few words. But if you were to compare, basically, experience working in humanitarian field for such a big organization as the International Committee of the Red Cross compared to Geneva Call, what would you say? Where where, where did you feel your results were more meaningful? You had more direct impact.
2: I love both experiences. Both organizations are fantastic in their own ways. So with the ICRC, I was indeed very lucky because I was actually recruited uh, the day that I, I I was confirmed to go to to be selected by the ICRC was the day of my graduation at the at, at the Geneva Academy.
0: Azekel, okay, the ICRC is the International Committee for the Red Cross. So, just for our listeners,
2: yes, the International Committee of the Red Cross. And and I I spend time in Colombia first, then in Afghanistan, then in the in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And what I found fascinating is that, well, I was there, I was in contact with affected communities, with parties from conflict. And and the International Committee of the Red Cross is actually, is turning today 160 years, provides um, activities that that Geneva Call does not. So, for instance, the International Committee of the Red Cross does assistance for certain communities that might be affected by the conflict assistance in the terms of distribution of food, distribution of medicine, distribution of even clothes. Geneva Call would not do that in terms of also how huge the organizations are. So the International Committee of the Red Cross, I think, has more than 20,000 staff. Geneva Call, when I joined, I think they were, we were at 30, 40, 45 people. Now it's it's more than 200 people, but still it's quite small when compared between, in between organizations. And the activities would be different. So at the International Committee of the Red Cross, I was... Not having a legal role, while well, at Geneva Call first I was thematic legal advisor and then senior policy and legal advisor, so it was I was much more involved in legal discussions. At, at the International Committee of the Red Cross, it was more there were more operational activities. So in Colombia, every once in a while I would visit communities affected by the conflict, talk directly with the communities, try to understand their problems. I would do visits to detention facilities. Also talking to, to detainees, trying to understand their, their situation. Same would happen in Afghanistan and, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo.
0: Ezekiel, may I interrupt you on that? I mean, um, what does it imply in terms of the personal experience? I mean, uh, what does it imply in terms of what you feel? I know that it's not a question of choosing between the two organizations, but I guess that we wanted to know about you know, what has meant for you to work for these two organizations personally
2: fantastic experiences. Perhaps I can share one or two experiences. So at the International Committee of the Red Cross, for instance. So again, I was very lucky to join the, the International Committee of the Red Cross right after my, my LLM at, at the Geneva Academy. So my first or second week in Colombia, I had to deliver a Red Cross message. Uh, Red Cross message is something that the ICRC would use when families are separated because of the conflict. So they would try to. They would use this Red Cross message to bring them together, to put them in touch. So I remember because my first or second week, I received a Red Cross message from a child who was far away from the area that I was covering, and had to be distributed to his mother. I mean, in the in the Red Cross message, it said something like, "Mom, I'm doing well. I'm okay. I'm alive. I'm in a center. I'm, I'm receiving education. This is my phone. Please reach out." So I received that Red Cross message and that had to be distributed to the mother that she was living in a, in a far away location. So this was my second week at, at the International Committee of the Red Cross. So, so we go to this, this village that was a few hours away by, by a thorny path and, and we get there and the mother is not there and we waited for her for, for a bit and then we managed to find her house and to, to see her. So the first thing that I would ask her is if she had a son, if what what, what happened with her son. And she said something like, well, my, my son, I think he died because of the conflict. I mean, it's been two years. I don't have any news of him. And um, and I think he's, yeah, he's no longer alive. He was, um, he was taken from me. I mean, she did. I, I'm not going to go into the details, but she said like he was taken from me, so I don't think he's alive anymore. And then, you know, we would ask her whether she would, she would like to to hear more about about her son and to her to hear news about her about her son and she said yes of course and then we would explain what the the international committee of the Red cross would do and and this whole red cross messages activities what it's called restoring family links program and then we said that we had a message from her son for her, and she couldn't actually read so we had to read that message for her and it was very emotional moment because she, she she couldn't believe that her son was alive, that he was doing well, that he was actually studying. Um, so we we yeah, she was able to talk to him. It was quite an emotional moment, and this was just my second week at the International Committee of Red Cross, and I said, "Well, this is this is amazing. I mean, there is uh, no other organization doing this, and it's clearly needed." so that was one of the experiences but you know i was involved in distribution of of food of distribution of medicine to communities that were affected by by the conflict or they had been displaced in afghanistan or visit detention facilities in in the drc and you know having a direct contact with with the people who have been affected by the conflict is quite is quite a thing and trying to see how you can collaborate in in some way for them to be more protected for them to to have tools of protection, that was that was definitely quite important. I think in my in my path and at Geneva Call, the experience were different because again I was not in an operational position but more in a legal position. So for me, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I have studied law, so the legal discussions that I, I had at Geneva Call in terms of you know respect of international law in armed conflict have also been quite enlightening. You know, I was in meetings with different armed groups and de facto authorities. They were all together. And I was there, you know, and witnessing, you know, and they would share how they would apply the principles or, or the, the rules of, of conduct of hostilities, you know, and, and the challenges that they would they would face and whether, you know, some of the the perceptions or some of the interpretations that they would have were in line of international law. Some may have not been in line of international law. But then you're there, you're discussing with those who actually apply these rules about how they are applied. So that was also quite quite important. And doing monitoring visits, being able to have a frank and open dialogue with the commanders, it's, it's quite important. And then the groups, you know, respect committing to respect international law.
0: So in both cases, I mean, uh, quite rewarding experiences, uh, not only emotionally to put a child in contact back with mom, but also to make an impact, you know, on non-state armed groups and inducing them to respect international law must be great. And what about now? I mean, what are you doing now? You said you changed just this week, uh, your job.
2: Yes, I did. I did. So I have uh, recently been appointed as director of Watchlist on children in armed conflict. So Watchlist is a network of organizations based in New York that works to increase the protection of uh, children in armed conflict. And it does so by directly engaging, I don't want to use the the institutional speech, but by directly engaging with, for instance, the U.S. Security Council, uh, permanent states at the U.N. here in New York, other key stakeholders, NGOs, think tanks to adopt resolutions, to discuss the text of resolutions that that would protect children, to discuss the adoption of other measures. And it's quite interesting because this is also in the framework of international humanitarian law and human rights law. It's going to be already 20 years ago, the U.N. has created a system that would allow to monitor grave violations against children in armed conflict. So Watchlist works in that context, in the context of this framework that was created by the UN, by, again, working in terms of international humanitarian law and human rights law to prevent this, these six violations take place.
1: I think that's fascinating. And I have to say, I'm still so impressed by the two stories that you shared before, that it, it's taking me some time to, to come back. And I thank you for sharing this. Now, I wonder, first of all, how do you shift from working now on armed groups to work actually on child protection in war zones came about? And then maybe also if you can clarify whether your work, as you said, it's a network of organizations. So you actually work everywhere around the world or you focus on certain countries?
2: The change was, I would say it was a bit natural because at Geneva, as I said, one of the thematic areas is child protection. Geneva Call has a deed of commitment to child protection and has been working on child protection issues since, I would say, around 2010, but even a bit before that. And as thematic legal advisor, I was one of the thematic areas that I would follow was indeed uh, issues related to children. So use and recruitment of children was one of them, but also protection of education. And and Geneva Call is a member of the network of of Watchlist. So uh, I, I knew already what Watchlist did and I thought it was fantastic, fantastic job in New York, but also in other in other context. In terms of again influencing or uh, trying to to influence the position of states, so I knew the framework where Watchlist works, and I was even part of that before. And and the second question, it is indeed a network of, of organizations. So, for instance, uh, part of the the advisory board of Watchlist is composed by organizations such as World Vision, such as Save the Children. Human Rights Watch. I mean, just to name a few, but also we have a, another group of organizations that are part of the steering committee of of Watchlist that are Amnesty International, Geneva Call. So I wouldn't say that we are everywhere, but I would say that we have uh, real good connections around the world, and the work the work that Watchlist does is quite uh, recognized by the international community, by states, uh, but also by uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, international organizations working in the field of child protection.
0: Wow, Ezekiel, that's fantastic. Now, we have to close this interview. But before closing the interview, I would like to say, first of all, that beyond all this, you have also published a book with Cambridge University Press on the tension of armed groups. And I wish to congratulate you because the book came out last year, in 2022. So, wow, I wonder where you have found the time and how to do all, also the book. And also, uh, I would like to conclude the interview not only by saying how much I'm happy to see, you know, the alumnus and alumnus of the academy, such as you, see how successful he, he, is, he is in his career. It's really, really, really... It's really nice as a professor no? to see what happened to the students. Finally, I'd like to say that, uh, as you might have seen from the previous podcast, that we usually ask our guests to share with us uh, a memory, an anecdote of their moment of study, a period of study at the Geneva Academy. What do you have for us?
2: So uh, one actually of the of the experiences I had, I think I was very lucky to be in classes with fantastic professors, you included. But it was, it was a fantastic experience. The Geneva Academy that year was, was great. And the community it builds is, is fantastic. I mean, you could find former students of the Geneva Academy today everywhere. It, it, it has this, this network. Part, you're part of this family. And I think you, Paola, you were a big part of, of creating that family and you still are. But this is, I think, one of, the, one of the highlights. But I would say I had the opportunity to go to Solferino. We have a,
0: a lot of spritz. I remember yeah. that we were drinking <laughs> spritz. <laughs>
2: We we had a student trip with you and also with Professor Andrew Klapa, but also with uh, most of the teaching assistants and and I think most of the class actually came as well. Yeah, we traveled for three, four days in in Solferino and and saw the origins of nowadays international humanitarian law and, and the International Committee of the Red Cross. I mean, we have discussed the history of international humanitarian law there, but mostly on a personal level. I thought it was a great experience.
0: We had our memories of you know, ourselves, not only Harry, you know, but the kind of different memories, no?
2: Yeah, no, that, that was definitely one of the highlights. I think sharing time with other students now that we're friends with teaching assistants who are also our friends and, and with professors. It was, yeah, it was great.
0: Thank you so much, Ezekiel.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Ezekiel, and um, I have to say I'm so inspired. I'm reconsidering my my dream to be an academic and maybe apply to one of the places that you work. Although I don't know if I could decide among them, because all of the experience really seems fascinating. And um, thanks for for sharing. Really, I hope everyone enjoyed the, this uh, this episode so much as me and Paula did. And now, also to our listeners, I want to just remind you that you can listen to this episode and to aura basically series of podcasts on the usual podcast platforms so such as Apple, Spotify and so on. But what is even better is that you can subscribe and then this way you can ensure that you don't miss any episode at all. Uh, bye-bye also from my side and I really look forward to being with you also in the future episode of this season. Ciao. Goodbye.
0: You've been listening to In and Around Wars, a podcast of the Geneva Academy of International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations with Geneva Academy alumni. You can also check the Geneva Academy's website at www.geneva-academy.ch to find more resources and upcoming events on
2: contemporary issues of international humanitarian law and policy.